You are listening to a special episode of the Bondzilla Podcast. This week, we take a deep dive into everything James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. Hello, everybody. I was about to say uh, good evening, but you might not be evening where you are. It might be morning, afternoon, night. Like, I don't know. But welcome to the Bonzilla Podcast, another new deep dive edition. I am Nick. I'm Will. And uh, just another day in paradise. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing but good things going on in the world. Yes. <laughs> I, can't think of a, I can't think of a better, a better year. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, like, like uh, you know, hey, Tron three, yay, yeah, yeah. with Jared Leto. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that we knew that for a long. Yeah, time. but it was kind of like that was the while ago, and that was you know, but that's the thing that again, it's playing with the heart because that was like the one from like last year, mm-hmm. and then it was like in development. Oh, you thought like Jared Leto had like moved on to well, like no, Morbius it, and yeah, got it but out it, of his but system. I mean like you know I. Just, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, and it's like, you know, I guess there's apparently like Leto wants, you know, uh, not Krasinski, but uh, mm-hmm. the guy who directed yeah. Tron mm-hmm. Legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of Krasinski and it's yeah. not Krasinski. Yeah. I'm blanking. You have a phone? Well, don't look it up. I just have a phone. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, that would be really cool because I think it's, that movie's well-directed. And apparently, uh, allegedly, this is, like, so inside sources baseball thing. But, like, one of the reasons that potentially it got back into um, production was because Tron Legacy's been, like, a big hit on Disney Plus in terms of rewatches. So mm-hmm. they think there might be an audience for it. So Oh, it just dawned on them that there was an audience. Well, for the, it? here's the thing, though. It's like one of those things where I'm glad. I am glad. I mean, this is all the tangent, but I'm glad to be living in a world where it does seem like the it's like Tron Legacy has gotten that cult following. Because like when it came out, it was one of those things where like you know it just didn't. It was it did make money, but wasn't as big of a hit as everybody thought. And there was a lot more of just a like, you know, just debate about it's you know as a film. I think. And I think like now I hear more appreciation for Tron mm-hmm. Legacy specifically than I have ever. So in even if there is no Tron three or if Tron three is completely different, like I am glad that there is kind of a following now for for Legacy, which you and I have always kind of been on, on the train for. Yeah, uh, if you have anything bad to say about Tron Legacy, you're you're wrong. I mean, I I only have like two criticisms of that movie. You're they're wrong. <laughs> like I, I, no, no. I enjoy it. I why, mean, Nick, why even say it if you know that it's wrong? Why do you like to spread lies, like as if these flaws somehow make Tron Legacy any less of a film? I mean, it's just it's still a great movie. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Tron. This is probably. I don't think ever think we ever talked about it on this show. We, we might have briefly. Well, yeah. I mean, it got tweeted to us. <laughs> I'm Did the, it? Yeah, you didn't see this? No. Uh, cool dude. Yeah. Uh, cool man. Ugh. One of his things. Cool he dude. Just, he he he. Th- a thorn in my side. He is. Look, he 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 tweeted us to us. Yeah. This oh, so we did mention him. Well, because we were we were talking about um, we mentioned Kaczynski as like Kaczynski. A, yeah. There it is. 
we we mentioned him as like a director yes. that we would want to see like uh, yes. tackle our franchises. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like the big biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. No. I mean, like I love Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy is great. I, I think it's um it it definitely is in that um um that camp of just like a really good piece of craft. Yeah. Um, I think it's very underrated in, in terms of that. Um. And uh, yeah, and there there are aspects of it or ahead of its time. It's always funny going back to it and seeing like the de aging mm-hmm. and just seeing how just done all over the place it is now. And then like in that movie, it was such like a sticking point. Yeah, I I do feel like I've always felt that Tron Legacy was like two years before like it would have been big. I feel like two. I came out to like, late two thousand ten, and I feel like if it had been like two thousand, I just feel like. There was a distinct difference in how nostalgia played in 2010 versus like 2012, 2013. Whereas I feel like if that type of movie came out then, I feel like there would have been a bigger marketing like yeah, aspect but, of that. Too. But at the same time, I, I don't think I want Tron three. And every day that we don't have a Tron three is a little is one more. It's one more rose petal that falls off of the rose, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but. It is one of those things where, like, yeah, it's nice that, you know, you see, like, oh, like, it's got a cult following, and maybe people are watching it on Disney Plus now, and things like that, but what aren't people watching on Disney Plus right now? Like, it's like everybody's home. They have nothing else to watch. I mean, and Tron (laughs) is such, like, a unique thing. Like, Tron was one of those things where... I feel like the reason you do Tron Legacy is because you feel... Like Tron has a bigger uh, like following than you really think it does. Yeah, and I want them, and I want them to just like um, take a chance. Like I would acknowledge that doing Tron three is taking a chance because yeah. I-, I think that Tron Legacy kind of proved that there really isn't like the love or like the mm-hmm. like Tron is not a name that like gets people to be like, oh yeah. Well, and I also, I mean, I've always said that I think part of the issue with Tron Legacy. Uh, I think is that I think that all like it was one of those things like it really made me think a lot about marketing because mm-hmm. I really did feel like in retrospect a lot of like the marketing that they did was geared towards the people that were already going to see the movie mm-hmm. it was like very much geared towards the comic-con crowd and all the like you know ARG and, and all the like viral stuff and I don't think they effectively like marketed it to like a wider audience and I think that's what really made me look at like how you you know, market that type of stuff because I think like you can still get a general audience interested, but I think you you can't specify it to like the one group, because, right? You know, because because people forget that like Tron Legacy or Tron Two was like sur- shockingly one of the first big like among those first big like Hall H shockers because mm-hmm. it was like in the they, at the end of like the Race to Witch Mountain panel. And it was just like, oh, by the way, this is a thing we put together. And everybody's like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, that sort of thing. I also find it funny that it's one of those things where it's like Tron became a big, like, again, one of those 80s big cult movies, Um, especially from the same thing. as like almost like similar stories where it's like, you know, that was early 80s Disney where there was so much stuff going on in the studio. And it's just like nothing like it just seemed like they didn't know how to market a movie at that point. Yeah. so that becomes a cult to do a sequel that, you know, again, does fine, not a big hit. And now that's kind of gained a cult enough following where there's a consideration all right, like, all right. of like... I got it. I got, I got to figure it out. Next movie. Well, they have the next two 
Mission Impossible movies figured out, right? Yeah. Then they need to figure out what are you going to do with Mission Impossible next. Then they have the trailer, and then he's like, "This mission, if you choose to accept it." And then they like, and then like Ethan Hunt's like, "Oh, I'll I'll take the mission." Then he gets zapped. Gets zapped. Camera pans out. He's in Flynn's arcade, and then the mission that's impossible is taking place in Tron, in Tron World. Well, it's, no, it's just like the mission to choose to accept it is on the grid. Yeah, exactly. And then they, they and then he goes into the grid, and now we have Mission Impossible Tron. I mean, this kind of came from, like, I wouldn't mind, because um, Kaczynski is, um, you know, he's doing Top Gun. Top Gun. So I'm like, I wouldn't mind seeing, like, and, and he obviously worked on Oblivion as well. Yes. Uh, I, and I, I wouldn't mind seeing Tom Cruise in a Tron movie. I, I'm I'm waiting for, like, Tom Cruise. Just... Well, part of this also comes from, I do think that, like, a new Tron would have to be, this is just becoming Tron cast, uh, <laughs> a new Tron would just have to be, like, like, really, like, starting from scratch like sequel still right but it, it really can't be like a see it's one of those things like in the marketing like it, it's a completely different direction and then we'll go see the movie and then like olivia wilde's like in act two like something like that yeah yeah um so i, I feel like it's going to be something like that but i have a more interesting aspect of this conversation for you that i think actually would be fascinating do you think that let's say month like let's say like in a year mm-hmm. like months go by obviously uh m- movie theaters are you know a little bit in uh in a pickle right now um audiences are a bit in, of a pickle of how comfortable they are going to see movies it, now's not the time uh a prime time to go be seeing movies in theaters yes eventually there m- m- may be a time there will be a time where you know theaters everybody will want to go back into like theaters right. and, and see movies on the big screen, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Do you think that at all there's possible that like you could be like, all right, let's say we do Tron three and movies of its ilk, but we'll take like the visual spectacle of it to the next level. Like we'll spend time actually doing that. Mm-hmm. So then by the time everybody's comfortable going back to theaters, movie theaters are opening. Yeah, everybody is game. Now, you have big spec. You can market like come to the theater, open up, and now we have Tron Three. I know you don't care about Tron Three, but it looks awesome. I mean, I think that's going to be an element of it. Yeah. I think like even like I feel like, like a, a lot bit, of studios could take advantage of that. I, right I mean, now. even like if you're looking at Tron Three, it's just like you can really market part of it is just even the visual development of just what you were doing in 2010 with those type of environments versus what you do now. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that can be a big element. And I, I think that's what studios are going to have to do, like, when the theaters reopen. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, you know, I think that's something that even Kong versus Godzilla kind of has to, to go on. Mm-hmm. Is like, hey, look, at, like, really, like, here's King Kong, here's Godzilla, watched him do big fight stuff. Right. Like, I could ha- the marketing for that movie has to be that. Mm-hmm. It can't be anything else because that's, you know... It's going to be an element that drives people back to the theaters. Is is like the the promise of that escapism and spectacle. Uh, another funny thing, um, uh, Tenet has become somewhat of a of a like a, of a meme itself in uh, amongst film Twitter and yes. somewhat on this podcast. Just the the um, the stubbornness of just like well, it's th- coming to theaters. Well, the funny thing I saw when I was driving around 
uh, in LA is all the billboards and the posters are up. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing is that it says only in theaters. Like right yeah. down where I don't even know if there's like a date on it, mm-hmm. but it, it does say only in theaters. Right. Which was hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. It's 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 thought, very funny. I thought that was funny. Last thing about Tron is I remember the other uh, time that we mentioned it on the podcast is when I defended Garrett Hedlund in the uh, Pacific Rim episode where I was just like, say what you will about Garrett Hedlund and Tron Legacy. At least he has a charisma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, I guess he is a better... He's a better white dude. Yeah, what, what was that guy's name? <laughs> Charlie Hunnam? Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> that was his name. Um, yeah, so Bond stuff. Yeah. Let's uh, let's just bang one out today. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, that's it. <laughs> this has been Troncast. Yeah, this has been this has been Troncast. Hey, this is. I mean, this is like. Listen, this is all stuff for you know one of my potential this summer. Bond goes Tron. I mean, Bond in the grid. Yeah, that'd be exciting. Yeah, and then. It would be a different way to do the computer thing. Right. Like, it would be, right. you know, it was just like, oh, like, we have to stop this satellite bond. You have to go into the oh computer. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's like, huge. Don't you think you can, don't you think you can hack it or, or something like that? This will require more of a personal touch. <laughs> Get zapped a into the grand on approach. <laughs> um, Oh uh, my god! I mean, this is like I have many ideas of like where to go after Bonzilla, and I, you know, this could be a backdoor pilot for my '70s and '80s Disney cast, mm-hmm. um, which is probably not where I'm going to go, but I'm very interested in exploring that somehow. But anyways, we do have a Bond deep dive for you uh, mm-hmm. this week, and you know, it's still one of those things where news-wise, there's devoid of of, of any real news. Um, there was a tweet I retweeted I thought was funny where it's like uh, a Spectre meeting is a lot more dangerous than a, a Zoom meeting. And it was all the times <laughs> that Spectre people got killed at their meetings, which I thought was Spectre funny. would find a way to do it, though. Yeah. They, they, they would find a way. Like they, have, like, they provided all the laptops for all the Zoom meetings so yeah. they can, like, you know, explode them and or then, something like that. You know, and it's it's like just like it, once they have an in-person meeting, like they have all the masks that have the octopus mm-hmm. on them, right? Um, where they don't want to put them, they don't want to use those ones in public because yeah, obviously it's like a ah, secret organization, right? But like they would definitely be like, hey, like look at these cool octopus masks. <laughs> that's that's what, how that's that's, how, that's, what, that's how they get people to sign up. It's like, yeah. hey, you get a free octopus mask. <laughs> No, but I also feel that's a little bit more of the Dr. Evil version of it, where it's like, if you come back to work, we have this really cool mask that has my, my face on it. <laughs> you, you can wear it around the layer. It's the mask, but it has like the little finger like I, uh, like printed on the mask. I think that should be an actual mask. Yeah. I think that's like, you should definitely buy that. Yeah. Well, let's go to the deep dive. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. So um, I was thinking hard about what to talk about and i think kind of on the basis of looking at uh born uh identity and talking about how its action influenced bond in many ways i thought it would be um a good time to look at the wider scope of the bond action sequence Mm -hmm. and and action cinema through the james bond franchise and 
it was interesting because when I first thought of this topic, I just didn't know if it would be like, oh, like we talk about just our favorite action sequences and talk about generally how like they're big and spectacle. But the more I've thought about this subject in leading up to recording, the more I've found that it thinking of the action sequences of Bond and, and, and the action scenes. So I would also kind of count like some of the scenes of tension of just like, you know, the action stuff. Uh, it actually really solidifies some very interesting views on the franchise as a whole and, and how the franchise has evolved over time. Um, and it's one of those things where I think about how one of the things I've learned most through doing the podcast is the legacy of the action sequences and the amount of thought and, and all the drama that went into them. I mean, many of our best stories on the Bond side have been just some of the craziness of the action sequences. But I don't, I almost don't think that the action stuff is what people think first about Bond. I, th- I, I don't think that's something that sticks with the entire legacy of the franchise because I think th- the aspects of bond himself and the tropes that surround bond like the the bond girls and the bond villain i think really over scope or or overlay like how overshadow overshadow Mm -hmm. that's a good word for it uh i'm 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 very using my words today you're Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that i want is a shirt i'm very using my words today um sure uh anyways it's just overshadow Mm. like the the action element and i think there definitely are people remember it but i think remember the action sequences especially some of those opening sequences but i think it's very much should be noted how majorly uh part of the bond franchise are these action sequences especially for kind of that original cubby era so i i have a couple opinions about this too because i would pretty much firmly say that i don't think bond is known for you know its action or or definitely not its stunts and and things like that and i don't think it's known for its action in the strict uh strict sense of the word yeah like i don't think that um i don't know like i don't see it in like i mean they're technically action movies but i don't see them defined in right. pop culture in like in that subgenre mm-hmm. like you know it, it's and this is why you know genres and subgenres can be kind of like you know not not important but you know i think people kind of put it more into like that cool spy genre where of course there's action about it but i think that there's other elements i think the reason that like some of those tropes overshadow the action is because um those just define the films more right. than any of the action does. And definitely what I think is more interesting about why this is kind of good coming after the Bourne episode is because I feel like while there are definitely aspects that you're right about, like some big stunts and big action set pieces, just even the notion of like the set piece, I think distinctly changed after the Bourne movie. Mm-hmm. Like when yes. you really think what it Absolutely. is. So like for me, like, uh, notwithstanding some of the other big stunts aside, um, obviously one of the big ones that come to mind are, or some of them are Dalton jumping out of the plane. Um, that's Dalton, right? When they they fall out of the plane, uh, and, and, like, like the cargo plane. Yeah, the cargo plane. Yeah, that's that's Dalton. 
Because there's then, also, yeah, there's also like the sky diving sequence in the beginning of Movie Maker and yeah. stuff like that too. So there's that. There's you know uh, the Hoover Dam jump, jump yeah, in uh, Goldeneye. Um, but for for some of the most part, like when I really think of like oh like <clears throat> especially set pieces, mm-hmm. I think of big explosion. Bond drives away from it. It's big and it's spectacular and things like that, which I think has happened a couple times in the in the in the Bond. Definitely. Um, or like you know, gunfight goes into gunfight in a in a lair turns into something more bombastic, and it's all about like Bond getting out of there. After Born, which distinctly, as we talked about in that episode, did not want to do that. Um, in terms of like, they wanted a more uh, a more conservative set piece. That there was a more distinct effort, I feel, in the newer Bond movies. That there was much more of an attention to detail of all right, let's make distinctive action set piecey stunty choices yeah. that we see in there. Like you know, just um, I'm thinking of. Um, Skyfall, you know, having like the big uh, chase on the train at the beginning, um, and even just looking at the trailer for this newest one, like like the shots of like him on the motorcycle and him like flying up into the air, <laughs> like things like that, like strike me as like, oh, okay, now in this world of Postborn and you know Mission Impossible, there is much more of a sense of you know they're going for the big stunt, like the big action set piece that's not just a big explosion. Hmm. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting d- d- distinction because I almost feel like the opposite now. But now uh, that I've done this podcast, well, but so, but this is what I mean. I think that if you look in the details, you're right. I'm thinking like just on its face, right? Okay, I get what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, on, on on its face, like when you yeah. think about it, like I, I feel like I've seen more. I I feel like my eye has been drawn to the fact that Bond is like doing stunts and these like kind of like practical action set pieces. More so than previous Bond movies. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of what. Yeah, I mean. and I I also do feel that there's a little bit to do too with just even just how the the action movie has evolved and and action has because I also think that um, yes, there were definitely like action movies in like the sixties and seventies in that kind of peak Bond era, but I also feel like once you get to like the eighties and once you get to like the Schwarzenegger movies and once you get to like the nineties and speed and stuff like that, I just think like we look at how an action set piece is put together so differently and how it's integrated, how, how it, how we view it in terms of like the whole movie differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. In, in terms it it of- definitely could be the atmosphere surrounding that. It, it could be my perception is, judged by the fact that we're in a post-born Mission Impossible world as yes, well. Yes, I agree. I agree. Because, I, again, because I've, I've said this previously on the Mission Impossible episode, but like I distinctly feel, having after done this podcast, that a lot of the stuff about those classic Bond stunts have now transitioned into the Mission Impossible franchise, mm-hmm. especially with Ghost Protocol onward, um, where it's like, because, I mean, and I want to get into very specifics about... See, but, but I, I'd have to push back slightly because... And I think this is more of a testament to the legacy and the powerful legacy of Bond, too, where I think you're right in the details you look at that. But, you know, not to disparage the Mission Impossible movies, um, which I like, that is kind of the identity of those movies yes. now. And it's the identity of the Bourne movies of like that, you know, rough and tumble action stuff. The identity of these Bond movies 
is not that, mm-hmm. even if in the details it's there. Right. Like so, that's what I mean. I I don't think I think you would be hard pressed to ask somebody like what is their favorite action set piece in a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what? Like what? Like if you were to ask somebody, what do you think they would say? Like I I don't I don't know. If- I mean it. I mean it really depends on like what Bond they're most familiar with. Right. I think because I think if you're, if you're going to the Craig films, I definitely think you're thinking like opening of Skyfall or you know even like the 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 you know some of the chase stuff in in Skyfall. I think Skyfall would definitely be the more distinctive. Right. Whereas I think if you get a more classic Bond fan, you know, and it could, it just I think it just depends because I think Bond does have a very variety. Very much I don't variety. think I don't think people would have a go to if I'm being honest. I I, I well, don't. I, I I mean I think there would be at least one that they remember. I think that's the difficult yeah. thing. I think that there's always going to be the one, but I don't I don't think there's gonna there would be a consensus. I think. I just think it's funny, like especially now that we're so inundated with like I would argue a new era of action movies with the examples I just mentioned. John Wick is another example, mm-hmm. like The Raid. Yes. And um, yeah, 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 and and it's it's often funny. I think we've talked about how, in some ways, modern Bond seems to pale in comparison mm-hmm. to that. Well, yeah. So it's almost like funny when you think about it that, like, if you look in the details, it could have been like a very underrated source of inspiration for this new era of stunts and spy mm-hmm. action, and now it's kind of lost, you know, yeah, like lost the way, lost in the mix, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think why why I mentioned is because one of the things when I was reviewing like the stories and mm-hmm. reviewing the stunts, one of the things about like the Mission Impossible films, especially um, the, the the last two, I think is there's kind of a sense of just like they think of like almost it's like they want to do the the what and then the how comes later. Like you want to do the big like actual Halo jump with Tom Cruise and stuff like that, right? And, right. And then you kind of think of like, okay, well, how are we going to practically practically do that or like oh we're gonna do this big helicopter chase in 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 the mountains of you know india or whatever and it's like which i always think is funny because like you know there's a uh there's a thing that happens in a lot of big budget movies now mostly like special effects driven superhero movies where you know you kind of have pre-vised your pre-visualized a lot of your bigger action set pc things so you're kind of like locked in to some of those so not that they build the movie around that but those are definitely set up for so you're kind of like that part of your outline is cemented more so than other aspects of the film um then you get like Macquarie saying like basically owning up to being like oh yeah no we kind of like think about like the stunts we want <laughs> we want to do well, it, it, but it's like like all the stories <laughs> we I, construct a movie that fits that i think the stories i go back to is like uh you know, um, especially that middle period where, where B.J. Worth is kind of in charge of the stunt work. And it's just like, you know, it's like, I want to jump off the Eiffel Tower. How can we do that? Right, and then it's right, like right. all the testing you have to do for that. Or, you know, it's just sort of the stuff like, um, you, you know, the beginning of Spy Who Loved Me, where it's, you know, that whole key sequence is inspired by like, we see a picture of a guy jumping off a mountain. We go to Rick Sylvester, the guy who's in the picture. He's like, oh, that's fake, but we can do it. You right, know? right. And then like, and then basically like, it's all kind of, okay, we're going to go to this mountain you know, Mount Asgard, and it's like, well, okay, here's the mountain, so how do we shoot this now? Because here's our environment. Um, or most infam- famously for me was the story from um, Live and Let Die with the double-decker bus and yeah. the whole stunt, and then Jane Seymour asking the stunt guys, like, so how do you know it's going to do that? It's like, we don't. <laughs> like, we just... There was a definitely, like, a different sort of Wild West type of feel to those... Oh, like, yeah, How yeah, they yeah. put together those those 
Bond action sequences where it was very much like they knew the result and then they had to kind of go back and say like, how do we integrate this into the movie? How do we get this to look the way that we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other thing I think that Mission Impossible does that I think those older Bond movies did um, is there's also that benefit of the world traveling thing. So yes, like, yes, we do have our kind of trope alley. We do have a lot of snow action. We have, you know, a lot of car chases and stuff like that. But I also think one of the things that Bond really succeeds in, especially kind of once you get into the Moore era, is like using the environment that they're in to like really effectively drive the sequence home. Like right, I think right, like, right. Yes, like, you know, there are some similarities between those those snow sequences, but I do feel like a lot of the times they look at wherever they're filming and you know, and like for example when they did um Honor Majesty's Secret Service and they're doing the big Blofeld and and Bond fight down the mountain in the bobsled and stuff. And, you know, a lot of that was just like, oh, they kind of used accidents or they kind of like came across like this area of the snow and they're like, okay, well, let's do something here with this. And obviously like that's a lot of that's attributed to, you know, future director of the franchise, John Glenn, who I think really is one of the names that really, that really has a legacy within the Bond um, stunt work, because even though he only directed the three, you know, he took control of the honor majesty secret service third act sequence he took control of the opening sequence for spy you loved me and moonraker before he eventually comes on the franchise for a main director in free your eyes only and i think that all three of those you know it's just the effort that goes into him like um um the moonraker skydive you know to to get all that working is like again it's like okay well we want to do the skydive thing but like we have to all right, well, regular camera don't work. Michael G. Wilson comes across this prototype camera, and then they have to do 86 jumps because you can only, like, film, and, like, you can only do the fighting for, like, five seconds at a time before you have to do your parachute. It's just, like, so much effort to, like, the final product. And I always feel like that is such an element of at least the stunt work in Bond. As well as, one last thing I would say, is the the uh, very much the use of new technology or new stuff because, you know... I think the movie where Bond really goes big, you know, a lot of times we have tried to get to Goldfinger, and I think that is very true. But I think Thunderball is really distinctly like the big action movie. Mm. And and part of that is that opening sequence where they get the prototype uh, jetpack from the military that's like, oh, like there's only two of them in the world, but we're going to use it for this sequence, and we're going to be the only ones that use it. Right. Or obviously another one that we love is the the car flip in uh man mm-hmm. with the golden gun and that's the whole thing of just like oh this one guy was doing it based off a a theory from cambridge or or uh, columbia or one of the like some smart place and they're like we want to be the first and only people to do this on screen so we're going to get the original guy we're going to sign an exclusive deal and all that sort of stuff so you know I think that that's kind of a legacy and i think it's it's a hidden legacy because you're what you've said before is exactly right that those were never the focus, you know, of like the audience, I guess. And then it's like, especially from a genre standpoint, it's, it's the spy work. It's, mm-hmm. you know, Bond, you know, shooting a gun around a corner and stuff like that. I think that's what gets the focus. Listen, I, I think everything you're saying, uh, it makes sense. I, I think that you're right on the money with it. It's just as a franchise and its legacy, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it has. I don't even. I don't want to say earned because I think you've made a compelling argument that it has earned that place. But it just it just is defined by so many of those other things so well mm-hmm. that 
it's almost like like the fact that you are going to get like stunts and all the, the that action stuff is par for the course i think when you when you watch it when you watch a bond movie at least that's like kind of like the experience watching watching it yeah. um and i think it's because and, and the thing is like when you get into like let's say the action films of the 80s and it, it, it's it's weird cuz it's just you eventually enter a period where the immense action is the thing with these movies. Mm-hmm. So, like, even let's take even like a high quality movie. Like, let's say like Die Hard. Yeah, that's what I was about to bring up. You could say like three or five different go to action things that people would kind of like pinpoint as like this is like the action thing that i like in this movie now and i mentioned that because i think that everybody would probably agree that die hard on as a whole great movie just great well-rounded movie character story pacing directing everything about it is great but i also think that people would un uncharacteristically not uncharacteristically would unabashedly call it a um don't you say christmas movie don't say Christmas movie. <laughs> I mean, it is. Um, but they would they would call it an action movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody would call a Bond movie you know, an action movie. I, I also think what it is is like a lot of the that, times. That, like, that, what, wait, let me let me take that back. They they probably would, but I I don't think they wouldn't qualify it in the same way as like a Die Hard. Yeah, and I think it's also part of it is I think when we a lot of times when you think of action movie, there's very much a the constantness mm-hmm. of the action. Like like Die Hard, it's like once you get into you know the the hostage situation actually happening, it very much is like yes you have like you know a slower scene here and there, but there's very much like a we're gonna keep moving and 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 pushing that forward, and in like you kind of like pace the film around the action, and I feel like Bond there's also like you know it's like there again the classic bonds you have like the mission aspect of it you have some of the investigative stuff that kind of really slows the movie around as well as you have like the stuff with the bond girl and i think like that there's just a different pace to how the bond movies are they're almost their own entity in terms of that pace so i think that definitely does affect on how we view the action because the action kind of gets spread out a little bit more that- especially like when like, like when you think of like spy who loved me and moonraker like there's a lot more um like or even like uh, diamonds are forever. There's a lot more spaces in between like the action sequences. So yes, like the moon rover chase in diamonds are forever is like a lot of fun. But there's a lot of stuff of like okay, finding out the villain's plan and then going to the casino and oh this person you know oh, um, plenty of tool died. So like now we have to figure that out. So right, I think there's right. I think that's also part of it. Where it's like when you think of like Die Hard or Speed or any of those other classic action things. Well, it's like also think of like parodies and stuff. Like, almost like a, you've seen so many parodies of like, um, like, um, that reference all these other action movies doing something. So whether it be like somebody dressed up as Rambo, like you know, with the gun and like maybe the back of the truck, and you're like, oh yeah, I know where that's from. Or if you go to like somebody dangling from like the from the ceiling, like oh that's Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. like. The closest thing set piece wise that I can kind of think about that for Bond is maybe the elaborate villain trap. Right. Yeah. And you know, and, and, and there's some set piece action that can come mm-hmm. up from there, but um for the most part I mean thinking of parodies though too, to kind of like 
go back on my point a little bit, I'm also thinking of the Austin Powers films and the what some of the big action stuff that they do take from those are maybe like the third act storming the base right. action mm-hmm. scene and maybe the car. If well, it involves I, some, if it involves like gadgets, and I was stuff. about I was about to say that I think that's also a very distinctive element about how people view the action in mm. Bond is that if there is a, like an action trope that they know about Bond, mm. it's like the car with all the gadgets and like kind of the chase, like you know people in generally maybe not the specifics, but like you know they kind of think you know if you were to think of a Bond action sequence, I think that that's maybe they won't have a specific one, but they will think of the car because like stuff like. You know the 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 Goldfinger DB5 chase or the or the car chase in Spy Who Loved Me with the Lotus. Like I don't know if you're, you're very much right. Where it's like I don't know if people are going to be like thinking of those first offhand. Mm-hmm. But there is that sense of like, well, Bond has the car chase, and and we've seen that in parodies more so. It's like if there's a parody of Bond, usually there's something with the car right, right, involved. Right. And I think like yeah, like again like the car chase is a classic example and and, and the, you know the history of like the Aston Martin stuff with there and and going into the Jaguar stuff into the into the uh, Brosnan films i think like there's a distinctive legacy with that as well in terms of the action but again you're very much right that's not what can be people are focusing on first would you say that there was at least a dis- this led to maybe some of the distinct reaction to the Craig films and by that i mean Obviously, this conversation, I agree with you that Bond has always had like action and stunts and, and things like that. But yeah. because there was a lot more of an attention and a look at me factor about now it's rough and tumble, yes. now there's big action. Um, and I think that's a little bit of what led to, if not the love and affection for this new era of films but at least for Craig himself as Bond. I, I think that there, there was a distinctive, like, it, there, there was just this feeling that I felt like, and it was even jarring for me, like, when I first watched those Craig movies, like, where they kind of don't shy away from the, yeah, he's an action killing people, and, like, he doesn't shy away from that, and, like, that's a part of these movies now. Uh, because maybe this is where I'm coming from. Is growing up with Bond, obviously not being quite as entrenched in it as you, like with some of my knowledge of it being from like the Brosnan era, which had action in it, but it was like kind of like that late 90s, like whimsical action. Well, yeah, and I, I think that I could go ahead, finish your point. But um, when I watched the Craig movies, there was just like this distinctive, like, oh, like, you know, now they're up in the action. And I don't know if that that may not technically be right, but that was definitely the feeling I got when watching those films. No, I definitely think there's an interesting point to be made, and there are a couple reasons. I think I do think that there is a very distinctively, almost more in-your-face aspect of that first foot chase mm-hmm. in Casino Royale, and I think it also has to do with the, the, almost the change of pace of a movie like Casino Royale, where because it almost stands out more because there's a little bit more of that grounded tone, as you're saying. And in terms of also how the beginning of that movie really establishes like Craig almost as a character, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of all the whole point of just like that, where it's, I feel like the other thing that can happen with the action in those previous Bond movies is I think it just kind of gets blended into the general scope of things, mm-hmm. I think. And I think that because everything's so big almost that, 
because there's it's not really that grounded, you know, even the ones that are grounded aren't that grounded, you kind of more distinctly kind of it as like the whole scope as opposed to like the specific action stuff. Like right. you may remember Blofeld's base in um you know uh you only live twice and that whole like big scope of it more specifically than you remember the bond copter right, aspect right, of it right, because right. you kind of put it in with like oh yeah the big scope of everything whereas i think that casino royale kind of really going to a true on the ground as you said rough and tumble kind of grittier nature i think those action stuff stand out more mm-hmm. than they have even if the stuff in all those previous bond movies have have maybe been more impressive and you know bigger in that way. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, it, it's it reminds me a lot of Birdman. And bear with me. It, it's like the whole like I'm an actor and I'm serious. Oh, so take me seriously. And everybody's like, yeah, but when's Birdman four coming out? Like it, it reminds yeah. me of that. And what I mean by that, it's kind of like it's a franchise that's like, hey, look, I'm like I I have I have the action and stunt cred like i got the chops in here we'll do it we'll we'll blow up a a, like a a huge base it'll be a a huge explosion and it'll be like oh and like we're gonna throw a train at bond we're gonna do it twice that's how many stunts we have and meanwhile i'm sitting here it's like yeah but do the martini shake and not stirred that's cool when you do that (laughs) like that's kind of how i feel about the bond franchise it's like you can throw as many tricks and this is kind of where i'm at you can throw as many stunts and tricks my way you can put him in a skull mask and have him dangling over the day of the dead over like a helicopter as much as you want but if you don't give him an exploding pen like what are you doing first of all that is probably the best use of birdman <laughs> since that movie came out and i i enjoy a majority Wait, of that movie. are we talking about the same movie the unexpected virtue of ignorance. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just yeah. making sure that we're talking the one about with the, the one with the yeah, subtitle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and but that's kind of how I feel yeah. about like th- th- this convert about when you when you brought up to me this is what we were talking about. I, I thought about it and, and this is kind of just where my mind took me. In no, terms I think of, and I think it's a very interesting and valid point. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss it. Yeah. Is again, it's almost. I mean, like I said it earlier, but it's almost something that I discovered with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Like. Like, you know, we were experts at our own movies, but we were always learning about new stuff mm-hmm. about our own movies all the time. And just going through all those bonus features, like everything through the li- um, uh, License to Kill, really, and just all the stories, like every one of them had like, we did this new thing on this stunt. Mm-hmm. Like even Oct- you know, Octopussy had the whole thing of like that very specific like prototype plane that they were going to use in, in Moonraker and then they didn't and like they had to like, you know, do all the stuff with that and, you know, and, and even License to Kill, like, you know, the story of like the haunted action scene of like mm-hmm. the last thing. But even that one of just like, oh, like we used this desert environment and we had some accidents that made it into the movie type of thing. Like, it's just like every time we would get to another Bond movie I would get excited not just to show you or see your reaction because that's like one of the reasons I love doing it is seeing what you thought. But then for me, it was just like, okay, so what kind of weird action story are we going to get on this one? Because almost every one of them did. And even into the Brosnan ones, now there's a kind of a transition where I almost feel like there is definitely a distinct transition, not in terms of the action like on screen because I still think the Brosnan films kind of, you know, keep to where the tail end of the Dalton films were in terms of the 
you know, like still kind of having this crazy stuff, but kind of maybe more modernizing it in a little bit. But I also feel there is a very distinctive version of the action sequences of the Cubby era and and then into the Barbara and Michael G. Wilson era. Because what I've kind of, and this is like a whole general franchise thing, the... The Cubby era, which I would, you know, Dr. No all the way, though, so Connery through Dalton pretty much is like the the Cubby Broccoli era of Bond and the Cubby Broccoli era of Eon, I feel like are these big budget movies that truly have kind of like the the independent cinema family feel to them where it's like, it's just the whole group's always getting back together and we're going to do all this weird stuff and we're going to do it in whatever way we can and it's just that we have a bigger budget. I feel like there's that element of even with the action where it's, again, like you're kind of almost discovering the action as you shoot it. Whereas I feel like once you get to the uh, the Barbara, Michael G. Wilson era, there's a lot more of a structured version of that. And there's still like some of that classic Bond element that seeps in there, but I feel like there's a little bit more of like the calculated like, okay, well, we're going to jump, we're going to jump off the dam. And I feel like it's not like, oh, I want to do the dam jump. It's like, oh, this is a possible thing that like we'll open the movie with. I feel like there's just a little bit more structure once you get to Brosnan onward. Right, right. As opposed to like even like the later Dalton era where yes, you're getting that general modernization of Bond and it really is coming into kind of a, a modern film landscape. I, I I would attribute that a lot to the blockbuster becoming a little bit more mainstream. Yes. If I had to just kind of you know no, and I, shot in the dark why that is, I think you know, once you know that spectacle is the name of the game, there's probably not as much of a Wild West element to it. I like, would definitely agree. I definitely think, because, like, again, like, you kind of see the transition um, into, you know, post-Star Wars into the 80s, as I think where kind of a more structured regimen of that stuff really comes into play. And it's also, I think, I think part of it, too, is that they did have that really big accident on Octopussy with the train stuff. And I really do feel like, and and then they also had that incident with the next movie with the um, the Eiffel Tower, where the guy was just right, like, "Well, I right. want to just do the jump," and mm-hmm. and I and I get it too because even like thinking about it more, it's like, yes, that was very ill advised, but it was almost like at that point that was still kind of the aura around the movie is that you always heard like the stories and like BJ Worth had been doing this for years now mm. um, and, and, and contributing to that legacy of the action sequence and those stories. So that guy was just like, Oh, I just want to do the jump because that's what we do on bond movies. We do like the crazy stuff. And it's like, I think like that stuff in combined as you get into the eighties and as things do get a little bit more regulated and stuff like that. I think like that's kind of where that transition happens too, is that they had been lucky for just a long time is that there were very, you know, like, yeah, like there were a lot of accidents on, you know, you only, uh, you only live twice, but that the one guy landed in the, in the foot doctor's convention. So like he got his foot back, right? Like, or like he, he, he was able to survive that. So like there was a lot of luck involved in making those action sequences work, despite all the kind of crazy accidents and, and stuff like that that would happen. And then it just kind of caught up to them in the end of the day. Um, was there anything other major you wanted to talk about, or just like should we just kind of like list off some um, of our favorites? Um, well, let's go to like some of our favorites, and I think more will come out of 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 that yeah. if we have anything else. Because I think like it just was an interesting discussion of just like why you know maybe there isn't part of the legacy. But I think it's now. Well, time. it is funny because I have an interesting answer for when I was like thinking about some of my favorite things and stunts that I've seen, and um, one of the things that have impressed me and and maybe you can push back on maybe this wouldn't qualify as like a stunt i i think it it would be but which one was it where i want to say it was a more where they're 
underwater and they go into like the sunken ship. Oh, that's for uh, that's for your eyes only. Yeah, for your uh, eyes yeah, that's only. A, that's an awesome sequence. I think that may be the best underwater stunt. And actually, like to be fair, the um stunt, the underwater stunt work in Thunderball is not bad. I mean, it, it's clumsy, but in terms of just the practicality of like a like mm-hmm. kind of like a people versus people action scene it's like it, it's kind of cool to it's, see i mean it is the most like you know, like it's like the most memorable parts of that movie are like seeing the jetpack happen and right. the underwater stuff at the end of the movie and i do think that the underwater stuff is distinctly memorable but um, but the but the underwater stunts in uh for your eyes only yeah uh blew me away like uh, the first time i saw it watch i listened to that episode and i said it was trash but no you said it was good okay but going back to it thinking about it i'm like no that actually that was probably one of my favorite go go to stunts yeah. definitely um yeah that's uh that that's kind of like my my big one yeah. i mean like you know the bond and then like i made fun of the trains but all those are fun stunts mm-hmm. at, at the end of the day um yeah um, I, I have a, I have a, a longer list, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, I will actually start since we're at For Your Eyes Only. Um, I do think the underwater sequence and, and the fight with the big, like, suited guy is, like, great. I, I really think, I like all the action sequences in, in For Your Eyes Only. I think it's actually one of my favorite, uh, action pieces. Um, like, like the, um, I mean, I also say that the, the, the car chase at the beginning through the streets and like, you know, jumping over the trees and stuff like that and all the stuff with Molina, I think is great. I still love the, the snow chase stuff in Free Your Eyes Only. Mm-hmm. I think that that scene by itself, in terms of all the work that John Glenn did is like some of his best work. It's so well paced. It's so entertaining. It's just like, it's just so well put together as just and with with Bill Conti's score, which I'm a big fan of, and it just just the moments of like how they shoot the the bobsled going through the or like this, him skiing through the bobsled trail, and then at the end of the sequence where the guys like the 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 throwing that throwing the bike at him, I just think that whole sequence is like really a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Um, and then just to go through the other, I mean, I love still love the opening sequence of Spy Who Loved Me, um, which I think is another great action bond. I think I've more and more come to this conclusion that if you were to ask me like you know we've seen it on twitter sometimes it's like name the best like three movies directed in a row or something like that Mm -hmm. or like what are the best three movies in a row of this person's career if you were to ask me like right now like what is the best group of three of bond movies in in a career i think it's got to be spy who loved me moonraker and for your eyes only and i think a big part of that is i think Moonraker definitely has some pacing issues, but I do think all three of those movies have exhilarating, fun action stuff. Because Spy Who Love Me, you have that opening sequence with the Bond 77 score and the 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 ski, and again using the mountain, the, the wide shots into the big jump. Uh, you also have the Lotus Chase, which is a great scene of escalation where it's like, okay, they're being chased by the motorcycle, now the car, now the helicopter. Okay, now it's going to go in the water. And then you also have the big kind of like the best of the big epic um, like uh, uh, battle at the battle at the layer settings, mm-hmm. set show pieces where it's just craziness going on everywhere. Love that. And then Moonraker, I think that some of the zero gravity stuff at the end is super fun mm-hmm. um, and just kind of, again, the pacing of that. And again, that's also the skydiving is just so impressively put together, especially for that era, considering that like, 
we're even impressed by it in uh you know in in mission possible fallout with the big you know halo jump there and it's like tom cruise and like yeah sure it's not roger moore jumping out of the plane but it's like 86 jumps and and putting that you know and using like those 86 jumps to put together like a sensible action sequence is like super good and then i already mentioned for your eyes only so those like three i think are very distinctive to me um you know and i'm just like i i've kind of gone into thinking about um Again, as silly as it is with the slide whistle, just it's so fun to see the flip, the mm. car flip. Uh, I also, I mean, I wouldn't be, I'd be remiss to not mention like Dalton going all in in the Dalton movies. Um, I think like the the cargo plane fight is super fun. I think that um, I kind of like the again like just the the stuff with um, that snow chase for me, like with the car. I think makes it a little bit more unique than some of the other ones. Um, and even the opening sequence at Gibraltar would bond on the, you know, just like a great introduction to Dalton. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the car real quick. I, I will say this. My favorite car action scene in all these movies isn't even in an official Bond movie. It, it's the one that's in um, Never Say Never Again. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I remember distinctly, like, because I'm very iffy on car chases. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that... They can be fun, but to me, car chases are the equivalent of people complaining about like CGI superhero fights yeah. in, in superhero movies. Like that's car chases for me. Like you'd have to do something like kind of really fun um, to uh, like you got a baby driver it basically. Um, but um, I remember the one in Never Say Never Again was thoroughly enjoyable and really fun, and I, I, there was something about that one that mm-hmm. I just I, I, I like the, the most. And well, and also speaking of chases, I do have to give credit to the Casino Royale foot chase. Yeah, I, it's a I, that's a yeah. definitely a very fun one. I think it's it, it that's super impressive. And then the other thing I was going to mention, because um, I definitely think there are other ones I could go all day mentioning just fun action sequences through the movies. Oh, sorry, one more I have because I do want you to have the last word. Um, the motorcycle Michelle Yeoh, where they're like tied together yeah. in um tomorrow and tomorrow Turn never dies. dies. Yeah. That I like too. I, I, I like I like that one quite a bit. Yeah, that's a fun one too. Uh, definitely. By the way, definitely not the um, <laughs> not die another day. The the car chase in that one. Mm-hmm. I would not say that's a that's a good one. No, no, not that one. Um, but I also think that another underrated aspect of and I I really think it's interesting that I don't think Bond truly gets into this as much as you think it would. Um, but there are a couple fun just kind of fights, like straight up like fights, like mm. punching fights. Um, the two that I think of most, and it's like, again, because those don't really get the attention, I think, in many of these Bond movies. I think that the one that always comes to mind, and I've mentioned the scene many a time, early on in the podcast specifically, is the fight on the train between Bond and, and uh, uh, Replicant Quint mm-hmm. in, yeah. uh, in, in From Usher With Love. And even like, because if you were going to really go into the history, like Dr. No is like very much a lower key movie. It's, mm-hmm. It would be fun for me to revisit that now after going through all these. But From Usher With Love is where you start to see the bigness coming in. You have like the big crazy gypsy fight, uh, which I, is actually really fun too. It's like a big kind of, again, Bond walking through it and having everybody fight around him. Um, but the, the train sequence with the whole tension of like, Red Grant revealing kind of the plans and Bond knowing like he has to get to the briefcase and, and just tricking them. And then that fight is very, again, very visceral, very just physical. And I think it's a very great sequence that, uh, that complements the larger kind of boat stuff that's right at the end of the movie. That really is kind of the first true big, like huge action sequence that Bond does. 
Um, it also does remind me of another fun action uh like fight sequences between him batista in uh yes only because like the bull in the china shop aspect of it is like really fun yeah so yeah i like Um, that and i also think of just the the funny like because i think a lot of stuff like some of the more funny stuff comes with with bond in those fight scenes like i would always imagine like when he's first fighting with Jaws and Spy Who Loved Me, and he like hits he hits them in the jaw, and it's like full metal, and just now mm. and just like Bond having to overcome that aspect of the Jaws character, like later in the movie, especially like as as part of the ending sequence. Um, and of course, like again, a very not one you would immediately think of, but the bathhouse bath yeah the bathhouse fight with Xenia on the top in uh yeah. in Goldeneye is just again very physical. Uh, Famke Jensen brings her all to that fight. Um, and I think that that one kind of gets overlooked as just kind of a little bit of a fun, different sort of kind of fight scene in the Bond movie. Cause it's like, cause then you have like, you know, the, the, the odd job fight at the end of Goldfinger, which is good. Um, I think like other stuff kind of is better in that. Um, uh, I think that there's, you know, not all the henchmen get that chance to fight Bond. Um, but I think that the ones who do, I think that there's a lot of them that are kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. I also do like when he like flipped that guy off of the bike. That was a cool stunt. That was a funny stunt. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I do think that there's kind of that pacing throughout like the 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 movies too. And I think that again, even if they are spread out, I think there are a lot more memorable ones than than people mention. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I agree. I, like, I, oh, I, I think I think your analysis of it is is apt. God, I would be remiss if if. I wouldn't mention the bar fight in Slices of the Kill, which is a personal <laughs> favorite of mine. I, 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 that whole sequence is just really silly and, and fun. And Slices of the Kill, I think, again, becomes an underrated movie uh, in many respects and one I've appreciated more on this podcast. And I do think that the, the Dalton does have its... I don't think it's as strong action-wise for me as uh, um, Living Daylights is. But I do, I do respect like some of the stuff with um, you know Bond in that movie, I think. I, I think it's still a lot of fun. I think Dalton is a really good action bond. Um, um, which I think that a lot of the bonds kind of share is I don't think any of them are truly bad at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. you know, I think like they all bring their differences and I think like, you know, I think like Dalton being in there a little bit more than say like more was like more definitely like was there to help, you know, transition it to the stunt man. I think like he does a great job and that, that's a skill in of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, all the, the stunt men, throughout history but like you know bj worth and vic armstrong and all these guys who they do measurable work not just for the bond movies but in all of cinema like the stunt work the stunt man is one of the most thankless jobs oh yeah, yeah, yeah and and i think that it would be remiss not to mention that like a lot of those a lot of that skill is like the you know like for example it's like more presenting himself in a way where you can easily imagine him doing the action sequence and then it's bj worth hiding the fact that he's not roger moore and i think that there's a, such a skill there, and I think the Bonds really, truly share that. And it's just impressive more when it's like Dalton and Craig do get their chance to really showcase themselves as part of the stunt. Um, but it's also like worth like Moore does a great job at making you believe he can do those stunts, even if he's not actually doing them. Very well said. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, that, that that that's a nice. That was a nice. Uh, that was a nice conversation. I, I enjoyed that. I, I think you've. You've definitely uh, enlightened me, and I definitely see see your way. Right. Uh, on well, that's it. I, that again. Like I didn't know what this episode was going to be, but when I started thinking about it, that's just kind of what what really intrigued me. Cool about about the 
I think it's also interesting, and one last point I'll make before we wrap up is we will definitely be doing like a full on like a Bond actor episode, especially once we get this more episode done. I do really realize like where I kind of have started to think of like what the big Bond movies are, are all those like more movies. Mm -hmm. Like that's where they truly get to like that big scope. Like it kind of happens at the tail end of the Connery era you know, starts really with Thunderball and then Connery peaks at it with uh, Diamonds Are Forever. But it's going to be very interesting talking about all those Bond eras more specifically through the actor. Because I think that it's almost more that really defines the Bond movie in many ways to me. Well said. I agree. Um, all right, cool. Um, so that'll do it for this this week's episode. Just drop dropping one in for you guys. Um, uh, short and sweet. Uh, every now and then. You just need we just need to relax. We need a little fun. We've done a lot of really long episodes yeah. recently. Like so it, it's it's and it's, it's we'll been, give your ears a break. It's been hey, like I I love that we've kind of expanded on from those early days of like the podcast to like now where we're con- like we have all, like multiple almost three hour episodes mm-hmm. now. Um, but it's nice to kind of just have something nice and simple sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. cool. Um, all right, so that's it for the deep dive, and uh, next week we will be back on track with uh, Godzilla and uh, decided on a on a movie. Uh, we are going to take a look at the first of the uh, Rebirth of Mothra uh, films. Ooh, ooh, um, very interesting. Something I think that is I've been personally putting off for quite some time, and um, I, I have a feeling so just with be- the movie that it, it, it may be. I, I, I feel like. The spirits it'll bring well, it, it, are much needed. So, so I, a return I, to like the Hasey yeah. era. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hasey era. What was going on the other side of Toho? We we will find out. I, I'm looking forward to watching. And watching then, of course, one. later uh, on, we'll be doing the Roger Moore in the Saint. Yeah. And uh, I'll have to discuss uh, how we're going to do that. Awesome. With you, not uh, with the audience. <laughs> put it to a vote. And put it on a poll. <laughs> Twitter poll. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, until next time, take care, stay safe, and keep on listening. Yeah.